live from the J.C. Newman Cigar Studios in Boston, Massachusetts. Welcome to the Smokin' Tobacco Show with your hosts, Matt Tobacco and Smokin' Nicole. And good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Smokin' Tobacco Show. I am Matt Tobacco from SmokinTobacco.com, and I am joined once again by my beautiful fiance, Smokin' Nicole. We are back from TPE 2022 in Las Vegas, and we have a very special guest with us tonight, one of my favorite guests. Um, from one of my favorite brands. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to get a little excited here. Uh, it's Mr. Pete Johnson making his return to the Spoken Tobacco Show. Pete, what up? What's up? Hey, it's actually good to see you guys in real time. Because uh, <laughs> the last time we were on together, we had a glitch. And then we, when we first got on tonight, we had another glitch. But this is working out perfect. I can hear you great. Hopefully you can hear me great. Oh yeah, I can good. see you moving in real time. This is good. Hmm. I'm ready to go. Ready, ready to go. I um, I couldn't decide what Tatuaje to smoke. Um, not just because like you were coming on or anything. I just like you know, like we were talking before the show. You, you start buying so many cigars, and then you don't even know which ones to pick. So I have a few options here. I got the uh, this year's release or last year's release of the T one ten broadleaf. Mm. I have the. Um, you're gonna have to help me out on this one again. Yes, I have that. Or, if you didn't know, <laughs> I still have my Monster Mash that I have yet to dive into. And so, I don't know. I couldn't decide. I think I'm going to go... Well, okay, so can I ask, if, if you really feel that you're going to pay attention to the cigar, smoke the Clodoglis. All right, I'll do it. I will pay attention. So, to so don't get distracted by my comments. <laughs> <laughs> Just relax and smoke the cigar. So, just for the viewers at home, um, this was a limited run. Uh, tell tell us just a little bit about this cigar. That's actually one of four different cigars we made in Miami. Um, one roller rolled all of the cigars. We made 1,000 cigars of each. Um, we shipped them slowly over the last couple of years to very few accounts. I think a total of five or six accounts in the country have access to those cigars. And, um, actually I think it's, I think it's seven total. And, uh, yeah, it's the, the plan was to do them once. They're kind of an homage of like the classic Cuban customs. When you hear about people getting custom rolls from a roller down in Cuba, right? That's where, where the kind of the history of it goes to. If you look at the band, it has, a very reminiscent band to what they used to use for, for uh, dignitaries that used to visit Cuba. So it's more of an homage to history. And the plan was to move on to four new sizes at a later date. So, but the problem is we can't find room to shift a roller to roll new sizes for us. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's <clears throat> right off the first light. It's that, that typical, Don Pepin, Tantuaje, that pepper right up front, right on the palate, just comes out you real hot. A uh, lot of flavor. Re certainly delicious. Um, very cool. Very awesome. I mean, you can tell. I mean, yeah, those are, those are rolled, I think, in 2018. So I got some years, some years on them already. Yeah, like I said, my sister got this for me a few years ago. She was down in Arizona at Ambassador fine cigars and uh it was one of the ones that she got me and um i didn't recognize i mean i knew it was tatuai but it, i didn't really recognize it and at the time 
you know, I, I wasn't as versed in, in the brand. Um, and I held on to it um, for whatever reason. And then I, I was digging through one of my humidors the other day and I found it. And I remember asking about it because I was like, you know, I don't know anything about this, but I really wanted to try it. So was it in its little coffin? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Got Very its little cool. Coffin. Um, I also have the longer one, the big Solomon. That was with yeah, me. yeah. I have that. Look right at the, the the coffin. Is even even the, the writing on the coffin is an homage to an old old coffin from Cuba from pre embargo days, where it says handmade into it. You see how it says handmade right. on it? It's two words. Yeah. 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 I don't know if the camera. So that's that's old but... school. That's actually mimics a a pre-embargo coffin that I had. Even even the bottom of the box is made. Yeah, H O N U S. Just a symbol. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, I know, if you it, saw the coffin that I have, that's super old. Oh my god, it's an old, it's an old Hoya de Monterey. Uh, what was it? A diadema, and it's wrapped in foil paper completely. So you literally have to peel the foil paper off. It's kind of like, for lack of better words, it's kind of like a candy bar where you have to peel the, the uh, foil paper off the cigar. In this case, I just wrapped it around there so it was a little easier for so people even, to get to. Even the gold foil is like the, hom the homage to that as well, like all the way through. Everything about that cigar is, is purely an homage to history, you know, old, old Cuban history. Draw is amazing too. So yeah. nice and loose. It's it, very easy to overheat the cigar if you smoke it too hard or too fast. But man, if you really take your time with it, a nice, really loose draw, this is going to be fantastic. That pepper is starting to kind of come down now and really get into the meat of the, uh, the tobacco. Really opening up. It's really awesome. Nicole, what are you smoking though, by the way? Me, I'm smoking the Capa uh, Especial. Oh, that's the Cojetes. Oh, okay. oh, the new one, yeah. The new one, yeah. yeah. So uh, this is actually my first one. And so that's Sumatra. very cool. Yeah. Uh, Pete, what are you smoking over there? I'm actually smoking a release um, that's coming out this this year around the trade show in Vegas. Oh, called, uh, yeah, it's a special release of Veracruz, but it's called Veracruz Blue. Veracruz and Blue, okay. What it is, it's it's a whole new twist on Veracruz. It. it it goes back to, I don't know if you, you guys probably remember this, but back when Veracruz was first launched, we did a battle between East Coast, West Coast. Oh, okay. And they all came in 50 count cabinets and there was two sizes, Veracruz number one and Veracruz number two. We're going to do the 50 count cabinets in Veracruz number one and Veracruz number two for the trade show, a very limited supply of them. And then they're going to go into 25 or 20 count boxes after that. Um, these, uh, this is a whole new version of Erica, which is a Corojo 99 shade grown wrapper in more of a, a more of a Rosado Claro, uh, color grade. Hmm. It's just, it's kind of hard to see, but it's, it's super elegant. It's got a lot of sweetness from the Corojo. For me, it's, it's right up my alley right now. Like this is what's really what's hitting me. You know, one thing I noticed about you and a couple of the manufacturers when it comes to, you know, kind of new stuff, cigars you guys are all working on right now. Um, noticing a lot of brands using Sumatra wrapper right now. Is that <laughs> because of its over availability 
an under availability of a lot of other things? Is it just kind of with the tides? I mean, I know you've used you used it on the T110, you've used it on the Cohetes, you've used it on the Cohonu line. Um, some other manufacturers have some new releases with Sumatra in them. Um, is there is there but, a, is there a trend there? I don't know if it's trend. I, I, we've been using Sumatra on and off for a lot of years. I mean, when we were when we were short on broadleaf, I started switching to other wrappers for the TA cigar. So in 2019, I did the San Andreas, and then in 2020, I did the the uh, Sumatra version. So for me, I've just been utilizing four different wrappers, kind of like shifting through them a lot in my lines because they give great expressions to cigar blends. And it's a great teaching experience for people to try the same cigar with different wrappers because they get an idea of how much the wrapper does affect the flavor profile. So you'll see me using a lot of Sumatra, a lot of uh, Broadleaf, uh, a lot of San Andreas, and of course, a lot of Habano from, uh, from Ecuador. What you're going to see me use more moving forward and i've started using it more is uh is crojo because the garcias have been growing crojo now for a few years and we've been been able to use the crops from the crojo uh, 99 shade grown on a few projects including like they use it on fonseca but i also use it on the escasos that we make out of miami hmm. so yeah it, it's I'm just moving through wrappers that we have a good supply of and that I know that we can put out a whole release of. There was a time where I actually avoided Sumatra because the seed that the uh, the grower was using had, I don't know, altered itself. And something happened where the, the, the uh, crop that came out that following or that year was, was kind of horrible. It didn't taste like Sumatra, didn't look like Sumatra. And eventually, they corrected the problem, and the seed the next the next few years turned out to be perfect. But there was one year you wouldn't recognize the the tobacco at all for Sumatra. Hmm. So why is everybody using Sumatra? Is it a trend? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> no, it's just you you know, you'll it's, you'll see me shifting a lot though. It, it it's just an observation I've made just just you know just recently, uh, and I, I talked about it with some people last week when we were TPA uh, TPE. And, um, you know, some of those manufacturers are using it like, yeah, you know, it's really abundant right now and it's cheaper. You know, we're using it, you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm. Um, so I, well, I, mean, I just was curious, you know, I'd, I'd ask someone like yourself. Sum um, Sumatra, Ecuador, I, I wouldn't say it's that much cheaper. I mean, anything, I mean, anything right now has gone, everything's gone up. Mm. Everything's gone up. I wouldn't say Sumatra is is that much less than than other things. Like if you look at Habano or Sumatra from the same supplier, I don't I don't see much of a difference in price. Hmm. Yeah, like I said, I was just curious to get your take on it. Uh, I I know you do use it, um, but you know, speaking of TPE, yeah, Nicole and I were there last week. So hello, I'm still everyone. tired. Where we are, and I, and I was not. <laughs> and Tatuaje was not there, um, which is a shame, only because uh, we always love to see Pete. So uh, he was not there to party with us. And you know, I, I will say, <laughs> it looked the, like a good time. The industry party, like I got to recap this, you know. And if you watched How About That Cigar on Monday Night, Garrett and Matt definitely brought this up. I listened to the show. Yeah. The 
cover band that they had for that industry party was off the chain. Like, off the chain. They played everything from, like, 80s, 90s. Um, you know, they had Alice in Chains. They had Guns N' Roses. They finished the show with Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> and then our personal favorite, Rage Against the Machine. It was in- nice. it was intense. And we were in the front row. It was in the front row. We, we started moshing <laughs> with, how about that cigar? Um, our friends Kevin and Barbara were down there. I think they started to back away. They were getting concerned about getting roped into that. Um <laughs> I think the I think Zane from Blind Man's was down there too. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was, was a media mosh pit. <laughs> oh yeah, it was it was literally pit. a media mosh pit, and it was insane. <laughs> it was insane. Um, no, it was a wild time, but you know the trade the trade show itself was good. It was very busy. Uh, the first hour, the first day seemed real quiet during the media hour, but then once they let everyone in, I mean it was it was packed, and um, I didn't anticipate it being as packed as it was. So I mean we kind of were like kind of thrown off our game a little bit like oh shit like we got to make some adjustments there's a lot more people than i anticipated uh plus there's you know there's a shorter window the first day opened up at noon uh then you have a full day the second day last day closes at four uh versus you know pca you got like three and a half days kind of have like two and three quarters with tpe so a lot a lot of ground to cover i would say a lot of manufacturers were there obviously you know tatawahi wasn't there um some other big companies like you know my father wasn't there Toro fuente wasn't there nope. um but Ashton yeah, was not there. Ashton, Ashton was, was not, not there. Nope. Um, so, on the on the topic, and since you know you happen to be here, you know today, um, why why did not <laughs> why did Tatuaje not attend TPE? No, I mean it, it wasn't like a boycott or anything. That's for sure. We're, like we're not into boycotting shows. Um, it was not a great time of the year for us because we had a lot of other things going on. That's that's one big answer for it. We were in actually. I was in Nicaragua with with my brother and Dan from Surrogates, hmm. uh, working. We really didn't have the time to get ready for a TPE, knowing that we had just come out of a few things like the TA, the TA in October, and knowing that we didn't have enough product to really go in to do anything. We were going to be there just shaking hands and saying hi to people and thanking them for being customers. I will say this. I do have, again, it's not a boycott, but I do have a question mark in my head about the TPA, and it's always been there, about how it is a trade show that is owned by one individual company, um, but marketed as a trade show. And I made this joke earlier that if if the PCA was owned by, let's say, general cigar mm-hmm. um i think it would be weird for a lot of people well i uh, think i think that the biggest component and you know we talk about this all the time you know pca at its core i mean it's still a it's a it's an organization that raises money for legislation and in cigar industry protection and um a lot of the the stuff that you know they do down in washington you know, to help support the premium cigar and the pipe industry. Um, and, that, and that's kind of the, the main purpose. I mean, there's, there's other things they do too. And, and yes, I mean, the trade show, it's it's a time to, to do business and get together. It's, you know, hosting an event for people to do business. But, you know, at its core, you know, it, it goes towards something that matters. And Pete, I, I know that, you know, you are a huge supporter of PCA. I mean, during the pandemic, you donated $10,000 to the PCA 
you know, just to almost literally help them keep the lights on because uh, they were struggling at that time. Uh, and then a few other people did as well. TPE, like, yeah, like, I, like you said, I mean, yeah, I mean, TPE is owned by a, a larger company um, where it's kind of going into a, a more of a profit margin um, as a result of the show. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I suppose that could change my, my opinion on it could easily change if I saw that, that the, the people that do own TPE came out and donated a ton of money to the CRA or something to, you know, keep the, the, the defense fund against, you know, what we're fighting against constantly in check, you know, like it'd be nice to have that money coming in knowing that we can, can count on it. So if, yeah, if the TPA came in and said, Hey, we're going to donate X amount of dollars to, to the CRA, knowing that the CRA needs the money to keep on fighting the, what, what we're fighting, I would, I would instantly have a different opinion on it, but that's, that's my plain, simple opinion, which is. I, gonna say something. <laughs> I, want, uh, yeah, I know Nicole's going to say something, but I wanted to <laughs> just for the, for the sheer sake of seeing people that I wanted to be there for it. Absolutely. Jose and my brother, Jose Ortega from my father, my brother and Dan, we all had the conversation. It would have been cool to see people, uh, but we didn't have anything to go to the show with. We were, we didn't have new projects that were, you know, selling we were just shipping the, the uh, cohetes at the time too. So that was another wave of work that, that my office got inundated with. We didn't have any product to ship. Uh, otherwise we couldn't go in with a deal. There was, there was no options for us to do much of anything other than shaking hands and because of the timeline and all the things that were going on with the holidays, we realized that we just didn't have the ability to be there. Right. What were you going to say, Nicole? Well, I was just going to say off talk topic, I'm interested to see the financials of actually like how many cigar manufacturers went and attended compared to the other types of tobacco there and tobacco products. And then also what the growth was year over year from TPE last year. Yeah, I, mean, I guess that's interesting too. That's interesting. Well, I mean, th that's another thing I don't know. I don't yeah. know the financials yeah. of the TP. Yeah. <laughs> no, and if no I had does. if I had to guess, if I had to guess, they're probably not making much money off the show. Yep. Um, only because it, there is a lot of work that goes into putting something like this together, and most of the time, you know, trade shows that essentially lose money. Um. I would say there was a lot more manufacturers, cigar manufacturers there this year. I saw that the floor was much bigger based on your videos I was watching. Yeah, yeah. I was stalking you on Facebook to see uh, to see what was going on in the TPE. That's fine. But, I feel like uh, a lot of that, that's why we're here. No, yeah. Saying, uh, yeah, but I was watching Dojo too to see what was going on over there. Yeah. It was it was nice to see people out and about, um, and that's the part that we miss. That's that's the big regret is not being there just to hang out with people, um, but at the same time, there were priorities in in our office that I knew that we had to take care of that there was like no way could I even imagine going to Vegas, and on top of it, I had just gotten over COVID. That's so. right, because you you were actually on with Coop not that long ago, and I think you had COVID on that show. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which you know, it's funny that we we bring that up. That was a great episode, and you know, I really, I found 
there was a lot of good stuff that you guys covered and a lot of good topics that you guys covered, especially with like the trademarks and all that. Yeah. Um, I found that to be very informative, even, even just kind of like on the not so cigar specific side, just kind of more on the back end of the business side. Um, and I'm going to kind of tie that in with our new segment, um, which I, I think we're going to hit that now because I want to kind of segue into, um, this kind of thing. And, and Pete, I, I, I think you'll, you'll kind of know where I'm going with this once I bring it up. All right. So cigar industry news brought to you by McAuliffe cigars. Um, in terms of brackets, brackets are done. You cannot fill them out anymore, but you can still vote on your favorite McAuliffe cigars for McAuliffe Madness. All right. What's the news? So speaking of PCA, earlier this week, they sent out a letter to our, to all of us and the members of the Premium Cigar Association. Uh, PCA calls out characters, foods, and candy associated with children's interests in responsible marketing statement. Um, basically kind of talking about some of the products out there and the way that they are marketed, obviously, a lot of manufacturers and Pete. I mean, you you you've been known to do this too. Not, I don't think as directly as others. Um, mm-hmm. I would say you know specifically with your monster series, um, but some people kind of go a little bit extra with it, um, and the way that they market some of these products, and you know, like actual children's characters, like yeah, actual. You know, <laughs> and you know an- another piece of this I'll bring up. You know, since Pete is here. Um, if anyone saw the movie Hand Rolled, there was this was a huge part of that movie too that that was talked about the whole marketing tobacco towards kids, and you know when you see people come out with a cigar that's you know like Punch does with the 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 can of soup, or you know the some of the other like the bento box, you know the Chinese box of like food but it's cigars. That's where I think some people in the industry, and I think the point being. You have this. I, I don't. No, go ahead, Pete. Sorry. No, no, no. Go I, ahead. I don't. Pete. I don't know. I don't look at, like, I don't look at the food part being, especially like if, Same. if you went towards you know, the theme of Chinese food. I don't think that's like catering to kids. If you if you came out with like a, a bubblegum flavored cigar or a, uh, cigar that, uh, looks like a pack of Hubba Bubba. Then I would, I would say yes, or or even a box of cigars that that looks like a, you know a, a Snickers bar. I would say yes, now but the, the food thing I, I have to give that a pass. And I don't the, know. That's just because I've done food. I've done food in the past, and I I didn't really think of it as like oh my god, this is a kid's item. No, and same like there's Red Meat Lovers Club, um, right. Saka makes the Palmetta. Yeah. There's so many other ones too. I and I have the same thoughts. I mean, it's yeah. the food I feel like is okay. I would it's agree with the... that. that. Like now for example, if you go the other if way. If you went for a strawberry shortcake packaging, <laughs> maybe <laughs> Barbie like <laughs> Now what about yeah. now, there's now there's been some there's been some companies and I and I won't really mention names cuz it's really not to put them on the spot. It's just you know, as an example, um, but you know, there's been cigars that come out that were literally called the Cookie Monster, and the band was a blue with the with the well, with the big eyes on it with the cookie on in, it. In in the person's defense mm-hmm. that made that cigar, I I had a conversation with that person, and the cigar was called the Cookie. It was never supposed to be called the Cookie Monster. He he explained that to me, right? Because I had a problem with the word monster attached to it. So the way yeah. that the retailers marketed the cigar was 
as the Cookie Monster, and the person who came up with that cigar did not call it the Cookie Monster. He called it the Cookie, and he explained that to me. And I, I, I would have to blame the retailers for adding that extra word on it. Hmm. Absolutely. And let, yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it it it's a topic that does come up. You know, and I know Coop feels really strongly about this too. It's something he brings up from time to time. But also the large Matt, real quick, sorry, real quick. We all know what the character comes from, though. Oh yeah, yeah. The absolutely. Char- the character is the Cookie Monster, but he did not specifically call it the Cookie Monster. Let's I just mean, say that. You know, like even if you look at the Monster series, right? I know you've done a really good job of the Frank, the Chuck, the Tiff. You don't full out really use those character names. And this is kind of where that other conversation that I mentioned yeah. before was really interesting in the way that, you know, like with the trademarks that kind of happened, you know, and I remember you saying when it came to those, you know, you're not really using the names, you're using variations of the names, you're not using any names that are trademarked by a studio, with the exception of, I know you had mentioned, you use the... Like Jekyll and Hyde, Jekyll and Hyde's a perfect example because they're they're kind of public domain. Yeah. Uh, but to, but beyond to be honest, I'm <laughs> I'm gonna be like moving forward. I've had a conversation with my brother and Dan from Surrogates, and we're gonna be we're just gonna be even more ambiguous about it, and and be very you know very basic when it comes to branding these items. Because do I need to have it called any of those names? Probably not. Mm-hmm. It's really about the imagery. And and that's it. I I don't I don't think I need to have it be called um, the Frank anymore. I think people know that it's based off of that character, and it could easily just have been a green box without any image on the box at all. Right. And called it the F Redux, and people would have said, "Oh shit." Right. So I I'm I've always treaded lightly, but I plan to tread even more lightly <laughs> moving forward. Now, another thing. Just because, just because, like, I don't, like, I don't want to run into issues, obviously. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, I know that, you know, one of the, I was just going to say, one of the other issues that you actually have had is that you have been, um, you've been sued or attempted to be sued by Monster Beverage over the Well, that was a cease and desist over the name Monster. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Cease and desist. Yeah, I mean, I've gotten a lot of cease and desist over the years. Uh, that was one of them. And. That ended up turning into a whole conversation about the color green because they knew they had no no recourse on the name because I owned the trademark and I had owned it for a long period of time. And it's in two different classes of goods. Hmm. But Monster Energy has always been, you know, that company that that goes after everybody. They've always been that company. Um so when they sent me a letter, I was like, I was blown away because it had been like 10 years that I've been doing the monsters. And then all of a sudden I got a letter from Monster Energy. Um, but I was really annoyed by it also, like kind of like a go fuck yourself moment. Like, hmm. no, no way. You guys are wrong. And you, you're just you're just being a bully right now because you have no case. Uh, but it ended up being, they ended up, dwindling down everything to a color that then they started focusing on a lime green and they don't want me to use lime green in association with the word monster and i'll be honest i i went straight back and said 
okay, I don't need to call anything with a lime green band monster. I'll just call it Tatuaje because that's what it is. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, all these cigars are Tatuajes. I don't need to put anything else on the band but Tatuaje. It's it's really about when people see a a olive green band, they're going to think of Frank. If they see an olive, you know, a lime green band, they're going to think of Hyde. If they see a gray band, they're going to think of Mummy. You know, so I don't really need anything else on those bands other than that. Because again, we're in the Redux series. Like this is like. Are you going to flash? Well, I just he's talking about it. I figured it, it would help to have the visuals since I, I do still have the full set. I need I do need to start smoking them. He's already have the visuals and like if you look at those bands in those boxes, none of them have anything but Tatawai and the Florida Leaves. That's it. Right. There's no monster series on the band. There's no anything on the band. It's purely a color and the word Tatawai. Yeah, you know, I I, I wanted to bring this up regardless because it was it was kind of a, a, a bigger topic this week in the news but you know i i knew that you had talked on similar subjects with this previously like as i mentioned with coop and i, I just found it to be a good conversation i figured you know it, it was i was interested to get your opinion on it um, well matthew real quick so i'll jump in you you remember my little monsters the skinny monsters no the little monsters the first ones these are this go back all the way to 2012 no i don't remember those Okay, so the little monsters. I wasn't smoking yet. The the little monsters box was orange, and it had like a silk screen on the top that said "little monsters." Hmm. Originally, on the top of the box, we literally had the characters of each monster, kind of like baby versions of them that we had an artist draw ah. in a in a chain. So we had Frank, Drac, Face, um, Wolf, and Mummy, kind of like walking along with each other. And I, I looked at the image. I said, it looks a little too young. It looks a little too like cartoonish. And I don't want anybody that is looking at that box to assume that it's something else. So I, I actually changed the artwork for the cover of the box. And I put that, that image of them walking along in a trail inside the box so you couldn't see them actually inside the box below the cigars hmm. so you would have had to have bought the box you had to have been an adult to buy the box and that's the only way you'd be able to see that image i also put on the top of the box that they were for adult purposes only you must be a certain age to purchase them because i was even back then i was super aware of like okay maybe this is going towards a different direction that I don't want to even go towards. That was four years before the FDA came involved, but I was always cautious of not trying to promote to kids. Right. Cause that's not what cigars were originally. Right. And you know, when we talk about it all the time, it was not giving the FDA or any kind of regulation branch of the government, usually the FDA though, uh, any kind of leverage over, Oh, Hey, look, they're marketing towards kids. Oh, they're using, you know, children's imagery with tobacco products. And then all of a sudden you just, you give them, they have a little bit of that and they turn it into this whole thing of, well, they're trying to go after kids with this. And so. And let's yeah, enforce it, plain packaging, which no one wants. It, yeah, that's, mean, yeah. Yeah. Forget about the FDA. Yeah. Think about just any, any congressman or senator that, that says, 
Well, I saw that box of yours and uh, seems like the cigar business is promoting towards kids. So I'm not going to support the bill that you want me to support. Hmm. And I bring up another topic, which I don't think Matt likes when I bring this up. But, you know, let's look at the marijuana industry, shall we? And legal dispensaries who have chocolate bars. So having a cigar with a cartoon character next to a pot chocolate bar or candy what is a child gonna grab it's not gonna be the cigar it's gonna be the chocolate and which one is condemned more the cigar no yeah absolutely and uh, we all go back to the defense of you can't buy these like you you can't a kid cannot go into a cigar store and buy cigars that's plain and simple um there's another reason why I've never advertised my monsters because I, one, I don't, I don't think I need to, because it's not one of those, those brands that I need to advertise. It's not really the staple of our brand. The staple of our brand is our core lines. And those are the ones I want to advertise, but I I also don't want to put anything out there that might be tempting for a younger generation. That's not, old enough to purchase products that we sell. Right. So listen, I live in a house with three young boys. One of them's about one of them's one year away from turning 21, but the other two are under 18 and uh, they live in a cigar world there. They see it in right in front of them. They don't smoke. <laughs> like they don't even want to smoke. They, they, they just know that mom and dad, that's what they do for a living. There's they nothing. Have, they have no other interest whatsoever. That. I mean, when it comes to the family, you always hope that everybody wants to work for the family business. Right. But the reality is they all need to find their spot and they can't just walk into it like they own the place. Yeah. So every, every kid, every kid in this household and my, my brother-in-law's household, they, they all start from ground zero. They just don't walk into a sales position the first day. They, they're the receptionists at the office. Work or they're that. in they're yeah. in the warehouse packing boxes. <laughs> like there's there there are no free rides because that's the way it uh, should be th- though. Because this family here, forget about me. I'm a <laughs> I'm a piece of shit. But but this family here, the Garcia family, they came from nothing. They worked really hard to build something. And I'll be the first guy in the room that that smacks one of those kids and says, Oh, I want to be the next vice president of my father's cigars. I like go pack some boxes for about a year and I'll talk to you later. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it's true. And you know, that's the way it should be, you know, working your way up the ranks and earning your position um, is definitely, you know, it's the way it's the old school way. And it, and it, it builds character too. Um, we do have, a, we have a question from our friend Mark in the chat. How many releases does Pete have planned for that Corojo 99 wrapper? Or is the Veracruz the only one? Well, so the the Escasos that we make in Miami that we're that are on hiatus right now because we're we're trying to find time to put a roller on making them. Those are made with the Corojo. The uh, Veracu will actually be the first full line release in Nicaragua from me or from Tantuay. But uh, the Fonseca product that, that my father family makes. Uh, is utilizes that same wrapper. Hmm. Interesting. Um, 
Is that a question right there? Sorry. Um, I th- is that it Pete? Is. I think that's Pete. Yes. We have a question from Tim doing Tampa Cigar Week. I think that's for you. Uh, Tampa Cigar Week. When is that? Isn't that December? Well, isn't it um, Ybor City Heritage? Oh, the the, yeah. the Heritage Festival. Yeah, the Heritage Festival. First yeah, I, I couldn't do it this year because I was actually uh, – <laughs> I decided to take a vacation for my birthday to Italy, so – I could not do it. Wow. I know. Where'd you go in Italy? I know. Now I um we went to Rome, Florence, um Marinello, Modena, and back to Rome. Wow. So you really covered some So it was it was actually a really quick trip, but it was really focused on things that, that we never thought we'd be able to do again. Like having a dinner at one of Massimo Batura's restaurants. Um if you know who he is, he's episode one on Chef's Table. Do you know who he is? He's a three-star, three-star Michelin chef. He's if you watch Chef Ta- Chef's Table, he's episode one. Okay. Uh, season one, episode one. Massimo Bottura. See the name Massimo sounds familiar. And we like our food, so we're yeah. gonna have to look at. Oh this. no, trust me, <laughs> and he's a character. You would love this guy. <laughs> um, the passion that he has for what he does is obnoxious. Um. And then I, I threw a friend that worked for a um, for a car magazine. He got me into the Ferrari factory just to see what they do. Wow. And and I'll say this. There's two factories in the world that I, I know that I would eat off the floor. It's the Ferrari factory and the My Father factory. <laughs> wow. What, I mean, the Ferrari factory, that's going to be – I, I just pictured them assembling engines with white gloves on. Yeah, that's what they were doing. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, the sad part is we, we weren't allowed to take any type of pictures. Like oh. once we were on the property, we couldn't take any pictures. Ah. And um, I was just thrilled to see it because I knew from a standpoint of you know manufacturing, I looked at my wife and I said, your brother would freak out by seeing this this stuff here because it's so clean it's so organized like it's it's one of those most beautiful places in the world that if you think about manufacturing things i'm sure like you know where they build like apple products might be as clean i don't know (laughs) porsche yeah, oh, her, I'm sure. Her brother I'm used sure. to work for Porsche. Yeah, he was a mechanic, and he's like even just a regular, like their regular shop, air-conditioned, beautiful. Clean, be cl- like sterile. Imma- yeah, immaculately clean. They flew him down to the uh, to the Porsche, uh, the U.S. headquarters for the, the racing division down in, like, Georgia. Yep. And he was oh, like, that's awesome. He's like, you wouldn't believe, like, the kind of, like, facility, like, that they have there, like, just for their, like, performance division. They have all their own private racetracks yep. and – like it's a whole thing, and he's like, "Yeah, I mean, it's top notch." And it, he was like, "It's probably one of the best shops I ever worked at." Yeah, um, yeah, know, I could it, imagine any of those high end luxury things. But it was funny because we were watching, uh, we were watching Formula One F one on on Netflix, and they were they happened. We, we were kind of rewatching this year or the last season because the new season's coming, and uh, they were at the Aston Martin. Uh, factory and aston martin obviously expensive car yeah and my wife even said she goes they got nothing on the ferrari factory yeah ferrari factory was that immaculate you're just like come on this is not possible 
Did it change your Did it change your view on like Ferrari as as the car and as the brand like for the money? Like you know what? Now I can see why it fetches what it does. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I, honestly, I, I would love to go see another high end car factory like maybe a Lamborghini or something just to see really how they do it to see if there's a comparison. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I have a lot of respect for that car brand. I have a lot of respect for the history of the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of knows, you know, went down on the deep dive uh, early in the pandemic on, on things like that and started watching all these, you know, documentary films about these companies. And there's a lot of, a lot of cool history behind, behind Ferrari. And obviously, you know, it's interaction with Ford, which was really interesting. Yeah. They made a movie about it. Yeah. The, the Ford versus Ferrari is what Pete's talking about. If you haven't seen it, um, I, I, I am a Ford guy. I'm a Mustang guy. I'm a Shelby guy. So ah, like for, you go. for me, it was like, Oh wow. And to see that story unfold with Ford, you know, attempts to buy Ferrari and then they kind of turn around and I think he sold to Fiat. And, yeah. and then, you know, Ford turns around and is like, all right, well, we're going to beat you in Le Mans. And that, that's just the end of that. And they did. Um, you know, they had three three GT40s roll across the finish line. Uh, and Ferrari, I don't even think, finished that race, if I remember correctly. I knew you were a Shelby fan. They didn't finish that race, but I knew you were a Shelby fan because you, you toured the Shelby place in, in uh, Vegas. That's right. I watched, your, I watched your Facebook footage on that. That's and right. my nephew has a GT5, was it, GT500, right? Yes. Yeah. He has a GT500 that's absolutely gorgeous, beautiful. And he didn't come to the trade show in Vegas with us in the summer and I because he was in school. Hmm. And I told him, I said, you missed out because there's a Shelby place in Vegas that you would have died over. Well, that's the, that's the main factory where all the Shelby vehicles are yeah. made. So yeah, it, and then all the old cars are there too. So like all of the original, um, the Mustangs, the Cobras, um, some of the old GT40s are there. I think the original one is there, if I remember correctly too, from the movie. Um, it was there. Yeah, on we display. Went. So that's cool as shit. That, yeah. That's awesome. And then you can just look out into the into the warehouse where they're assembling the cars. Yep. Um, which is really awesome. A uh, lot lot of history there. And we actually, at the time, we had rented when we were in Vegas. We rented a GT. We rented a GT three fifty, and we we were driving around. And I I had been there before, and I wanted to go again because she hadn't been there. And so we took that there, and that was cool. And then the last time I was in Vegas, they had done a special edition for a rental car company. Um, I think it was six rental car company, and they came out with like twenty of these special Shelby GTs. They were black and orange. Really? And I remember I read about it in a magazine, and they said they were only going to be available in L.A., Las Vegas, and parts of Florida like Miami, Orlando. And I was like, oh, I'm going to Vegas this summer, too. This was, I think, 2019. And I had tried to reserve one, and they're like, no, you can't reserve it over the phone or whatever. And I was like, ah, whatever. It's probably impossible to get. Well, I landed at McCarran, and I had a rental car that I had rented, and I picked it up, and I drove out. And there's that rental car place, and one of them's sitting out front. And I was like, huh. So I, I pulled in, and I just walked in, and I said, is that that new Shelby? Like, oh, oh yeah, we just came, we just got it, like, last week. I was <laughs> like, can I, can I take it? Is it a, like, yeah. Do you have a credit card? And I'm like, yeah. They're like, yeah, you can take it. I said, hold on one sec. 
here's my credit card. And I left my credit card there. I went back to the airport. I went back to Enterprise. And I was like, you know what? This is – I just tried to play it up. I was like, ah, oh, this is not what I wanted. And, you know, I, I'm just going to Uber around. And i and like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, is something wrong? I'm like, you know, I just uh, – my experience. Uh, don't worry about it. Just leave the car. We'll cancel it for you. No, no worries. I'm like, yeah, okay. And I walked my ass across the street. And I picked up a Shelby. And I drove that around for three days. And I took that to Shelby American. And I went in the front door. And there was a receptionist, and I said, hey, I have one of the, the special the, – the rentals that you guys made. And she didn't understand me at first. And I was like, you know, the rental car company, the new ones. And she was like, oh, really? You have one? I was like, yeah, it's outside. She's like, I didn't know they were back in town. They shipped them all to Florida. And I was like, I have one outside. And she, like, came outside, and she's like, oh, no way. And she's like, yeah, if you want, you can move those cones, and you can pull it right up in front of the building and take all the photos you want. And I was like, all right. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> So I did that too, uh, which was really fun. Um, so yeah, I mean, he should definitely go check that out. That's he would love that. Um, I actually, I have a. It took me a year and a half to get it, but I, I have a a brand new uh, first edition Bronco two door sitting in the driveway, which is proudly made in the United States. Which I was really happy when I saw the sticker in the window that it was made here in the United States. Nicole wants a Bronco. I do really she wants want. like a mean Bronco too. Like what? Well, the, the two, the two door, <laughs> the two door, um, see to me, Broncos are not four doors. There's no such thing as a four door Bronco for me. That's just me being a snob. If you talk to, if you talk to an old school Bronco guy, they'll tell you that this Bronco is the, the new fake Bronco. Um, but the, it's a fun vehicle. Yeah. I have a whopping hundred miles on it so far. She, she was looking at Jeeps like a few years ago and then the Bronco came out and a few weeks ago, she's like, yeah, I don't know. I like the way that, that Bronco looks. It's pretty aggressive. It's different. Yeah. And I well, was now, like, now they have, um, they have a four door only version of the Brap, uh, what, what they call it? A Braptor, a Bronco Raptor. Oh no way! But it's a four door only, and it it turns me off because, again, I'm a I'm a traditional Bronco guy, which is a two door. Nicole, do you want a two door? But I'm I'm not I'm not hardcore, hardcore like oh my god, it's it's got to be old school or it's nothing. I would have a two door, but at the same time, if we have like, you know, we're engaged, so if we have babies in the future, I need a four door vehicle. Yeah, you need so a mom. You need a mom, I, mom I need accessible. A... Yeah. That's Just true. Being realistic. She makes a good point. She makes a good point. So. Um, That's true. <laughs> That's, but it would be a bad. The last time, Bronco. the last time we were on, you guys were not engaged. No, no, that's, that's right. That's and right. I actually thought you were like already engaged. I think I mentioned something about that on the show. Mm. Or I thought maybe you guys were already married, but then you guys got engaged at the trade show, right? That's that right. True. That's yeah. right. You guys were all there. <laughs> it was a great time. Um, the uh, there is sorry. There's sorry. two questions in, in the chat um, from our friend John. Uh, to, first question is Pete going to TGS. Second question, can Pete explain the word vintage as it contains to both the cigar and wine? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. The 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 the. the uh, am I going to TGS? I am supposed to be there. Okay. I I am supposed to be there. So it, it's it's a good ninety. 95 percent yes all right um there's always something that comes up with me like where i can't make a trip because of personal reasons but luckily it's right up the road from us 
so it's it's easier. The word vintage. Hmm. Well, in the cigar business, it's pure bullshit most of the time. <laughs> um, in the wine industry, it actually means something. It actually means the vintage on the bottle. Um, I have done a project in the past, which I called a single farm vintage, which all the tobacco came from one farm. All the tobacco came from one vintage off that farm. So it was pure. That's why I called it La Verite, which is the truth, the word, the truth, because everything about it was 100% true. The, the word vintage in the cigar business has always been a problem for me. I feel because like I feel like this question was uh, really soft, Austin, to be here. No, yeah, thank you, <laughs> thank you, John, for asking this question because I, I can't, I can't stand it, and usually, usually people will throw the word vintage on something because they they use the tobacco from, you know. 2006 and they called it vintage 2006 because one of the tobaccos was from 2006 but the rest of the cigar was from you know 2020 um i will say that there are probably no true vintages aside from maybe i think lito gomez does one i don't know if he calls it a vintage though i think he calls it something else but he puts a year on it, and I think all the tobacco is designated from that year. Is it the LG? It might be the LG. I think it's it the might, LG. I can't. If Carney's on watching, please jump in and, and correct us, but I think it's the LG. Let's get our and LG course. I've always had a lot of respect for Lido in that, in that case. Well, I, I, Lido, because he's Lido. But uh, that that wins bonus points for me because Lito was always really, you know, straight and direct forward with uh, what he put into the product. But yeah, vintage for me is if you're going to put a vintage on something, put if you say vintage or put a vintage year on something, make sure you tell why it's there. Uh, be honest about it. Um, I put years on Coho News, but it's only those only designate the year that the Coho New came out. Right. Of that size. And we continue to make those Coho News. It has nothing to do with the tobacco that's in the cigar. The blend is the blend. The blend changes, you know, over the years based on trying to make sure that the Coho New, you know, 2003 always tastes like a Coho New 2003, but we're not using. 2003 tobacco so the word vintage though if you're going to say vintage you know 1996 it better it better be from 1996 <laughs> that's fair yeah i think that's a that's a good assessment you know and it's we've kind of talked a little bit about that subject like on the spare note show like kind of lightly but never really like in depth explained it that way and it's so true because like with wine, like everyone's always comparing like tobacco and wine, right? Or cigars and wine and, you know, grapes and tobacco. They're both grown. They're both fermented, all that. But, yeah, when you get down to vintage, it is a word that gets used. It gets put on the band. It gets put on the box. But it's not necessarily the same as it is with wine, where wine, you know, like you said, is 
Oh, now I got Carney. Hit me. I'm at dinner, but I'm here. <laughs> this fucking guy, he's always ready to go. Um, can you type it out for him? Yes. Sorry. Uh, I can't type and talk at the same time, or else it'll be. Well, just ask him what cigar yep. uh, does Lito make that is a true vintage? I want to say it's the LG. I think it's the LG also. Yeah, I think it's the LG. Because I think it all comes from that one farm, too. Yes. And it's a small batch. I believe it's yeah. LG small batch. So it's, I could see that being small production. Um, yeah. LG. It's yeah, LG. it's the LG. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. But see, I like that. I like that. But the reality is, is that no one's holding tobacco from 1996 that they're going to be able to make a whole cigar out of and call it vintage 1996. Wasn't Davidoff doing that with the Oro Blanco? Wasn't that supposed to be like a super vintage? That's kind of why it's so pricey. Yeah, but I think that's a blend of multiple things. Yeah. It might be it might be vintage tobacco or old tobacco. But uh I would say old tobacco. But I think it's a a blend of multiple years. Maybe they are using old tobacco, but it's a blend of multiple years, that's and that's why really. they decided. I don't think they said, "Hey, let's find every every stitch of tobacco that we have from you know, uh, 1999, and those are the Oro Blancos moving forward." No, yeah, because obviously that's going to change eventually. It's vintage crop four years prior to release date is what he said. See, that's awesome. Yeah. So definitely. Uh, Definitely a good point, and that's a great question, and because it does get talked about. And you know, when you buy wine and you buy a you know a Duckhorn Cabernet 2017, that's 2017 grapes. Yeah. Um, you know, you buy a vintage cigar from you know X, <laughs> Y, and Z, whoever. You know, there could be a leaf in there from three years ago, but the rest of it all was grown last year or two years ago. So, it, it it's not. I feel like. It really is not the same in the cigar industry. There are a few exceptions like the LG, but for the most part, it doesn't really fall into that same category. Again, a lot of times people use the word vintage because they've had, they have a tobacco leaf, one tobacco leaf in there that happens to be from X date. And that's where they say it's, you know, vintage, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think it's a, it's a word that you have to be careful with, but the uh, you know the wine the wine industry it's pretty pretty straightforward. There's there's no bullshit about it. Like you get what you get. Yeah, uh, good point, good topic. Um, one of the other things that I wanted to bring up with you is, and I messaged you this. Oh, um, real quick though. Oh yeah, go I ahead. I have to make this. I have to make this point. No, go ahead. There's also, this is another reason why we date stamp all the boxes. And so people know that when they look at the bottom of a box and they see a date stamp on it, it doesn't mean the day we made the cigars. It means the day we packed the cigars. So the cigars could have been made a year earlier and eventually packed on this date, but there's a reason why we date stamp just so people understand when they left the factory. It has nothing to do with the vintage, but at least they get an idea of like, okay, this tobacco or these cigars left the factory on this date, and I know that these cigars are from 
2004 because the date stamp says 2004, but the cigars could have been rolled in 2003. I wish more people did that. <laughs> yeah. Because sometimes, I mean, in the case of our humidors, like sometimes you're like, oh, where did this even come up? Like, where did we well, get this? What year? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's it's an old Cuban thing. I just took it from. Yeah, I think it's that's a good it's, point. It's one of the things that that when when I started working with the Garcia family, that was the first thing that we did. And there's a couple other companies have that have adopted that same thing, which I think is helpful for the consumers, because they turn over their box and go, "Oh, I got a box from you know 2007. That's awesome." Yeah, one of the things you see a lot when people post, you know, boxes of Cuban cigars, they always like to show the date on the bottom of the mm -hmm. box. Oh, these are April, you know, 2018. Um, you know, just to show the age usually too that, you know, especially when it's from a few years ago, the cigars been sitting around on the box. Um, but yeah, no, it's true. And not everyone does that. You know, I know you guys do it and, you know, the Cuban brands do it and there's other people that do it, but not not everyone does it. I feel like uh, it's not on every box, uh, but that, that's an interesting point to make because I think there is a misconception. Oh yeah, these cigars are from blah blah blah. blah. That's why the date is here. Not yeah. That's there's a, another past. thing. Another thing that's helpful for the dates. There, there's you know there are people that that follow like specific timelines and they go, oh wow man, like August two thousand six. Buy that year for Coho New, August 2006. That's the that's the one to get, right? Right. So there are people that follow that because it happened to be a great batch that came through. Even though we try to make every batch the same, maybe that batch in particular was like just on par with the, the best of the batches that we made, right? Mm -hmm. This happened to me where I actually it was it was actually August 2005. I had a client call me and said, Hey, do you have any more August 2005 Coho 03s? And I told him, I said, No, I have September 2005. He goes, No, I have to have August. And I told him, I said, August is only the date stamp that it left the factory, but the production is continual. And I'm going to guess that the stuff that's in September, probably the same. Yeah. I mean, I, I've seen that myself a lot, especially, you know, you, we talked a little bit before the show and people are always trading cigars too. people are always getting into that, too. And like, oh, well, I have this and it's from this year, though. And, you know, people, it, it, it's especially on the more limited stuff, too. Um, you, you see people get more into the ages and, and the actual dates and stuff like that. And, they, and like you said, they do keep track of it. Um, I think it, those are great points, too. It's uh, it's something I, I should probably bring up with Coop on the other show. Uh, I feel like we could get into that. Um never really thought of that topic to be honest with you i'm really glad that question got asked and also i'm wondering too as like more companies roll out with like qr codes and stuff like that on cigars if that's something that they can well yeah i mean do. uh kind of like what placencia is doing yeah i mean just utilizing that qr code for more than just information on the actual you know just like the paragraph and whatever they're talking right, about right, but right. like for the dating. smart the yeah. smart bands yeah, yeah. um Pete, i don't know if you saw that uh, the, the, some of the cigars coming out with with the smart bands Oh, actually, um, Mike Kirklotz is using that, right? Is he using that? I know Placencia is using it on some of their lines. He might have it in the works. I yeah. don't think they have it there, but I, you know, we've talked to many I, I, manufacturers. I thought, who are... I thought for some reason that uh, Michael was using that. Maybe it's not on the bands. 
Oh, some people are doing it on the box. box. Yeah, some people are doing it on the box. Yeah, so that's true. Um, I, I think we're going to see more of that, but it'll it'll be interesting just how that information plays out. Uh, is there another? So, oh, yeah. Sorry, I was just trying to read that. So if the date stamp on the box is, oh, maybe one to two years from when it was rolled to when it was shipped to retailers, doesn't it change the profile of the cigar as to when it was originally blended? Hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I'll give you a good example. Um, we we made cigars in 2019. I packed them a year later in 2020. They were supposed to be shipped in 2021. But when we packed them in 2020, we date stamped them December 2020 when we packed them. I was going to ship them in December 2021. I've decided to hold them maybe until 2023. Um, so you're going to see a date stamp on the box that says 2021, but no, or 2020, but know that the cigars were actually made in 2019. There's a lot of times that, you know, when most cigars, most cigars in our industry can usually get made and be put out within six months of them being made. Right. Hmm. There are some cigars that we make in Miami that, sit for over a year before we put them in boxes. But there are some cigars that we make in Nicaragua that sit in, sit in a cold room for three months before we box them. Right. Yeah. And then of course, you know, that's, that's what you guys do. And then, you know, if a retailer has that stock on hand for an extended period of time in their humidor, it's going to continue to age. You buy that box and your people like us who have more than we need to smoke, uh, some boxes sit around your in your personal humidor. The cigars are just continuing to age. So, I mean, by the time you pick it up, you know, let's say you, you bought that box and after someone else held on to it and, you know, you held on to it for like two years and then you find like, oh, let me grab one out of here. I forgot I had this box. You know, it will continue to age and change from, you know, when it was originally rolled. Um, I would say, you know, a huge part of it too is just, you know, it's when you smoke it and, you know, whether you smoke it right away or, at least on your, own, at least on the consumers' end, you know, when, when so in some people, there's some brands out there, and I won't mention any names, because uh, I don't want any misconceptions to happen. But there's some brands out there that, you know, people prefer to buy and age themselves before they smoke them, and I know yeah. that you, you you're aware of this too. Um, you know, some people like to do their own aging. Um, and no, they, absolutely. They have their own kind of thing where, you know, oh well, I like this brand, but I one time. I let them sit for like two years because I forgot about them and they were great. So now I buy them and I sit on them and then I rotate in. So, yeah, when it comes to aging, I mean, it's not even just on the manufacturer side. Uh, once the cigar is rolled until it's smoke, I mean, more or less, you know, um, it does continue to age, you know, as, well, it, as it's. I would say, I would say the best thing that you could do if you're, if you're a consumer and you're looking to buy cigars that you want to sit down on. Buy them when they're first released. Like, if we have a special edition cigar, or anybody has a special edition cigar, buy it when it's first released. Don't wait for two years to buy it, because you don't know how it's been kept over the two years. It's kind of like wine. Hmm. Like, if the new vintage, let's say it's 2022 now, so let's say the 2020s are coming out in Bordeaux and on the streets, and we can... We can get Bordeaux wines from 2020 already, or maybe 2019. It's better for you to go get it from the store now if you want to age it for a while from that store 
before it sits in some else, someone else's uh, wine cellar for three years and you buy it three years later and you don't know if that, that you know, wine cellar went through temperature conditions that went up and down right. and fluctuated. So at least you have control over, over the way it was aged. That's true. Because again, everybody has their own process. Nicole, I wanna... There's no rhyme or reason, right? Yeah, a- absolutely. And, and there are variables, you know, when it comes to cigars and tobacco, you know, and like you mentioned with the temperature change, humidity change, uh, there's, there's, there's manufacturers out there that, that have like a five year age on their cigars. And during that time, you know, they, they change the humidity and the temperature levels dramatically to allow the cigar to breathe. And as all, I mean, and as you know, there's all different menu, all techniques that people use. So, and all of those things will affect the cigar in some way, uh, due to those specific variables. Is there a right and wrong of how wine, let's say wine or cigars are supposed mm. to be aged? Absolutely. Mm. But at the end of the day, the right and wrong lies in the person that's doing it themselves. Because mm. they have their own formula of how they like to do it. They like their cigars a certain way. And it's not up to anybody to tell them that they're doing it wrong. I believe there is a right and wrong. But if they like their product the way that they're aging it, then so be it. It's their, their choice. Right. Yeah. Nicole, I wanted to check in on you because, um, I think, I think, uh, I, I, I don't know. It sounds to me like that cigar may be a little strong for you. So Matt know. just texted me during the, sh- cause we didn't want to interrupt you. And he goes, are you okay? And I go, this is the first cigar in a long time. That's kicked my ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, she was getting like it's really quiet like, and i'm like are you are, are you all right is something something wrong and, and then she's just like yeah no i'm fine she's like this cigar is kicking my ass and i was like oh all right sometimes it happens <laughs> doesn't happen every time so sometimes it happens but i did want to circle back super quick too um because our buddy mark in the audience did say that michael Herglotz is using that technology um and then i quickly looked it up um and so he is using that nfc chip to uh, allow um consumers to scan the packaging someone else also chimed in who said they would love qr codes on boxes and you know part of when i became a cigar smoker i wanted to do a lot of research on like cigars you know what flavors as i was exploring sometimes you walk into these shops and they have no like information just a box on a shelf so i love that um like tatuaje well, no, I know. They, 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 no, but I'm they, sorry. So I couldn't many. help it. It it's, was it's, an easy one. It is, but, but to be fair, Softball. there's not a lot of lobbed in. <laughs> there's not a lot of brands that do that, and you know, some of them do have the shelf talkers, and the shop doesn't put out the shelf talker or whatever. Or they the cut sh- them off. They cut them off. Right. They, they don't like put the information, or they don't you know display it as it should be. Um, and I love seeing more of that. I mean, it, it people are wanting to know. So yeah, shelf talkers. Um, it's always been a, a tricky one for me because I I tried to do some shelf talkers early on and then eventually I could never make it the way I really wanted to make it. I wanted to make these metal shelf talkers. Okay. Hmm. Um but there was real really no way to put like information on the shelf talker. It was just yeah. okay, it's a shelf talker that has the brand name so people know that that's the Tatawai section. Well, and you're limited on Patients space. Were, were tough, yeah. Space, cost, you don't know like what the setup is in a shop, right? If they even have the, the ability to showcase it the way you want it. Whereas like a QR code or a chip, bam, it's there. You design it. Right. I love it. I don't know. I like that idea. I mean, there's a lot of things that we should implement that we're just really 
yeah. mom and pop about really yeah. slow. And I think that's something yeah. that's like really, really new. I really don't think it came around to like last year. So I'm sure as time goes on, more and more manufacturers will find a way to use it uh, in, in their own way. And different um, industries. That's the thing. Every, like, well, yeah, 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 yeah in any industry, really, yeah. But I, I, it's, it, it is interesting. Um, th- when I first saw those, I the first thing that I thought of is, you know, people always talking about, like, oh, are my Cubans real? Yeah. If, you know, if Pavanos ever, in, you know, found a way to integrate that um, into their packaging and they did it right and there was a way that you could use that to authenticate your Cuban cigars, yeah. that, that's one use for them right there. Um, you know, so it, it is interesting technology and it can be used in multiple different ways. Um, and it will be interesting to see, you know, kind of how it does evolve over time. Um, and one thing I'll say about Tatuaje is, you know, Pete, I, I know you, your stance on, you know, kind of your whole theme with Tatuaje is the, the premise really from when you started the brand was you wanted that classic, like Cuban feel to it. With not only the flavor and the strength of cigars, but even with the boxes, you know, the boxes are, they're more that classic, they're not too flashy, they're that classic Cuban style box. Um, so I, someone, you know, like, yeah, old, old world for a new, for a new generation. Right. Are there things that we could do um, to make them stand out more? Absolutely. I mean, our focus since day one, and it's always been this way, is that we need the cigar to speak for itself. Um, are we behind the times with with the way we package cigars? Probably, um, but I don't want I don't want to distract people with a with the packaging. I want the cigar to to really prove itself. The uh, the chat room is uh, is just really alive tonight. So sorry if I if I kind of go back and forth with the questions and whatnot too, Pete. Um, I just want to make sure people get kind of get their questions covered. Uh, l- this is going to be probably the last question on, on blend stuff and the aging, just so we can kind of keep things yeah, forward. Yeah. Uh, but so are we saying, are, from John again, so are we saying that the original blend will not taste the same as what we receive? Uh, so, uh, say that again? So are we, I think this was, you know, in, in response to some of the other stuff we were talking about with, you know, the ages and the, and the dates on and the, the boxes vintages. and the vintages. Yeah. So are we saying that the original blend will not taste the same as what we receive? I, I think that's, no. I think that's no, from at the time it was made in the factory to the time the consumer gets it. And how it was No, made. but by the time you, by the time the consumers get it in the stores, um, it's right where it needs to be. Okay. The, the aging process will just, you know, I would say mellow it down, make it more approachable to a lot of people. That's so I always say that we make cigars that, that can be smoked fresh off the bench, but we know that they'll age gracefully over time. Uh, the blend doesn't change the the profile of how the how you're enjoying the cigar will change, obviously, mm-hmm. because there's there's parts of the cigar that that you know, things happen to that cigar over time. If you get it from the store and you age it the way you age it, if you manage to mess it up, then yeah, it's, it's going to taste probably pretty bad. But, you know, the, a lot of people overhumidify their cigars and it ends up, you, you start getting it really musty in the flavor. Some people dry box their cigars uh, for too long and the cigars end up being a little too dry tasting or even smoke hotter or 
uh, here's another uh, good concept. The oils in the wrapper that were there from the beginning have dissipated because someone took the moisture out too long and that wrapper started to get less, um, for lack of better words, less greasy looking or less oily looking. Right. Those are those oils will eventually, you know, go away uh, slowly, but uh, there are ways to, to ruin a cigar quickly. And those oils play a huge part in the original blending of the cigar to begin with. So, oh, yeah. I, I mean, mean, again, these are these are not added oils. These are natural, right. natural for the wrapper. Uh, we're not talking about additives or anything like that. Uh, so in a true cigar, as long as you as you have your your formula and how you want to age your product, I think you're going to get a, a pretty true experience of what the blend was originally at. Now it's just older. And it will it will mellow out the harsh edges. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a that's a good that's a good way to explain it. Um, another question here, and I think this is a, a question on um, is there a chance to, to see more? Hey Pete, this is from David. Hey Pete, mm-hmm. I would really like to see more of Don Jose and Jaime. Is there any chance on an interview, even in Spanish? Um, I can't say no, but uh, if if you talk to my uh, my good friend Jose Ortega from My Father's Cigars, he would love to see them on more, you know, interviews and be more accessible. Uh, but the, the, the language barrier is a problem. Hmm. And, uh, you know, Pepin and Jaime have been on a few interviews. My wife, obviously, she speaks both languages really well. So she's been on a few. Um, I would say you're going to see her first more than you'll see Pepin or Jaime because only because only because of the language barrier. Right. And trust me, the, the amount of, of knowledge they could spill out in, in 20 minutes is amazing. It just it might get translated wrong. Hmm. I mean, hey, someone could pre-record and do the typing. Um, sorry, <laughs> they could do the pre-recording um, and then type it up too. Um, and caption it. That goes yeah, that's it. true. If people are really interested. Just food for thought. Yeah, I, I feel um, like there's there's definitely a more of an interest in, um, you know, those people who are more so back back at the factory that you don't really get to see a lot of, and people are interested to like to hear what they have to say. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's uh, again the biggest reason why I did handrolled because the people that were speaking Spanish in that documentary, there was no script for them. They, they got asked a question, they answered the question, and they answered it in their own language. So the translation ended up working out great. There was, there was, no, there was no, like, wall up between them and the camera. They, they answered what they believed in. So I would, I would love to see Fabian and Jaime do more, but obviously they're super busy. And I'm thankful that, that, that they keep as busy as they do because it makes my job look easy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, since you bring up hand rolled, I mean, that's kind of where I wanted to, to go with, you know, in, in the second half of the show. Uh, and I've, and I've told you this, you know, I, I've watched the movie and probably about a dozen times now. And I'm one of those people where I, I, I will rewatch things over and over because every time you do, you, you, you pick up on something else, you learn something different. You don't really absorb everything in one viewing mm-hmm. or listening. Um, 
and and it is a it is a it is a great movie. And if you are a cigar smoker, you should you should watch that movie. It's available, I think, almost everywhere. Um, I got it on iTunes, so I mean, it's out there. You can get it. If you're not a cigar smoker, not that there's probably that many of them watching right now or listening, um, but you know, hey, you never know. But if you're not a cigar smoker, I would still heavily encourage you to watch that movie because I think it. It also does a great job of explaining to the non-cigar smokers what makes this industry not only special. Um, Thank you. But also, I that. it explains like, hey, like what we're doing is is an art form, or not me, you or the Garcias. No. It, it, it's it's an art form, and it's not it's not the same as big tobacco. It's it's not it's not even close. It's 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 not even yeah tobacco and tobacco, but. It's really different, and the premium cigar industry is is not the big bad bully that Philip Morris is, um, you know, of, of you know, Marlboro cigarettes. It's not the same thing. Um, different product, different tobaccos, different a different agenda, really. Um, you know, I really think that more people should see that movie even from outside because I think that it would maybe. Maybe not everybody would agree, but maybe some people would go, you know what? Those cigar people, yeah, maybe they're a little different. Maybe they're not so bad. Maybe they're not out there trying to attack people. Like, you know, we're not out here trying to push, you know, packs of cigarettes so you can, you know, you can just rip butts all day. It's it's a lifestyle. It's, 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 it's you know, it's an art form in itself. And it, it's not, it's not a product that's going to, it's going to affect you physically. Same it's way. not an actual addiction. Yeah, it's not an actual addiction. When we talk about having an addiction, it's just we just can't help it. You know, when people like Tatuaje and Arturo Fuente are constantly putting out cool stuff, and we're like, well, just, I got to have it. Um, that's just out of a necessity to collect. That's not necessarily because I have to have a smoke. Uh, it's just like, wow, that's cool. I, I got to have it because it's an awesome product. Um, so I really do. And, you know, and I've talked to you about this a little bit before. Um, even outside of that, it was great to see, you know, it tells the stories of a lot of these families that make cigars like the Padron family, the Placencia family, the Garcia family, how they all came out of Cuba. You know, they all, yeah. came, they all came from Cuba, you know, and they all left and they had to start over in the, in, in the, in the trials and tribulations that they went through just to be where they are. I mean, you walk into a cigar store and you see all these cigars and you're like, wow, that's a you know popular brand. It's in every store, blah, blah, blah. You know, that wasn't easy. And like you talked about with the Garcias, they work so hard to create what they do have from nothing. Um, you know, they had to they had to leave Cuba with nothing and start over again. I would say I would say that that no tobacco family. Listen, I, I didn't grow up in tobacco. I, I created a brand that I'm lucky that people actually enjoy. But there's no tobacco family out there that didn't struggle at one point in time. You got to remember before before cigar aficionado. You know, Fuente Fuente was a mildly popular brand brand it wasn't like the brand that we know it now right or it wasn't the brand that we saw in 1994 or 1995 which was crazy back then you know in the, the late late 80s and even up to the early 90s they were you know cynthia was at shops all around the country like trying to get people to buy the product hmm. you know padrones they didn't Padron had another struggle. They, they had to deal with the Nicaragua embargo that the U S had on Nicaragua where they couldn't bring, you know, they couldn't get Nicaraguan to, you know, products or products into the United States. 
but they were able to make product in Honduras and sell it to the United States. Hmm. So there was a, there's struggles all over the platform. And I think the cigar industry has been through a ton of them. Um, brand owners like myself, we didn't have to struggle as much. Obviously we didn't have to go through those hard times. We, we found a factory that, that we wanted to make our product and we have product made. Do we struggle as business owners? Absolutely. But not the way these families did. Yeah. I mean, I, I painted the way that movie kind of goes, it, it's in different segments of different things. And, and that I would say is one segment of it, of the families themselves and kind of how they, they were back in Cuba, then they, they left and then they had to start over. And then it was an, a new set of challenges all along the way to kind of get them to where they had to be. Um, the 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 last like third of the movie I would say when it really gets into Cigar Aficionado and how just Cigar Aficionado magazine alone changed the industry as well and how it, it brought it brought this new awareness to cigar smoking and then there was celebrities involved you know on the cover and in the issues they were being interviewed and oh I didn't know that that celebrity that I like as a cigar smoker I never would have guessed and it brought that whole new awareness that partially I would say. Uh, or a huge part of really influenced the boom of the 90s because it brought this whole new awareness of the cigar lifestyle um, by making it you know a little more publicized, a little more known. Um, one thing I, I, I picked out of that, and I wanted to ask you about, um, when you were telling your story of how Tatuaje came to be, and you were telling the story of how um, you, know, you first met Don Pepin, Mm -hmm. And you said, well, this is the guy that I knew I wanted to make my cigar. Uh, and you, in, in the movie, you had said that you had asked a friend or something about making a cigar. And that person said, oh, I have the guy for you. And then you said that that's when Don Pepin walked in. But in the movie, it flashed a photo of you with Carlito and Don Carlos. Was it the Fuente family that connected you? With no, no. No, I was, I, I've been in the business for 29 years. So I was in the retail part working for other people behind other people's counters, obviously. I uh, never owned, I, I say in the, in the documentary, I never, I never owned my own business. Right. Um, the only thing I owned when I was a kid was a paper route. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I, I just happened to, I am, I immersed myself into the industry pretty early on because I found something that I loved more than the music industry that I came from. Mm. So I made sure I did exactly what you're doing. You're traveling to these shows. You're, you're going to, you know, factories, you're, 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 you're really immersing yourself into this whole culture. I did that. And I always had that dream to uh, have a cigar with my name on it. When I was on that trip with the with the uh, Fuente family, that was Dominican Republic, 1996. Um, they were the first family I asked. Do you have room for another client? And they were like, nah, we just don't have the room. Like, it's impossible. Hmm. It was in the middle of the boom. So it was like, not going to happen, right? Right. Um, I'm actually glad I waited because if I didn't wait, I would have probably never met the family and I would have never met my now wife. Um, like I think things are supposed to happen 
in the way they do happen. And, you know, like if, if I had been selling my own brand made by Fuente, I would have never met this family. I would have never met my new wife. Right. In other words, everything happens for a reason. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, I, I, I picked up on that and I was, I was curious. Um, Cause I, I don't know. But yeah, they were, they were the one they were the first family I asked. Really? Yeah. There, it was, I, I saw a lot of people that week. Uh, obviously Lito was a friend. I saw him that week. Um, he couldn't do it because he was overwhelmed. I met a, a guy by the name of Hochi Blanco back then, yeah. you know, Hochi back then was not, not as well known as he is now. Um, but uh, he was making really good cigars. And someone asked me, like, hey, we're, we're looking for a factory. And this is obviously I didn't have a brand back then, but someone had came to me and said, hey, we're looking for a factory to do this project for us. Where do you think you'd go? Right now with everybody so busy, I go, there's a guy named Hochi Blanco that would be great because he, he's making really cool products for himself that no one knows about. This was This goes back to 1996, though, so this is... Yeah, this is really early on. And what you know, what's funny about that? You mentioned the Fuente family, Lito Gomez, Hochi Blanco. Those are all Dominican tobacco makers, and growers, yeah. and, and rollers. And you ended up going with Garcia family, which predominantly grows everything out of Nicaragua. So back was was, and I know it was a, it was a shift of time. You know, that's what it was. It was the the shift in time. You know. You, you move forward, uh, what would that be, seven years uh, since I attempted to do it the first time. I didn't really attempt to do it. I just looked for a manufacturer and realized I didn't really know enough about what I wanted. Right. And then by the time I met Papine, he was only working with Nicaraguan tobacco. And uh, we found a, a harmonious place within that that realm. Um could I do it in the Dominican? Probably, but uh, I'm really happy where I am. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's safe to say, I mean, I, I probably wouldn't change Tatawahe. It turned out to be, you know, what it is, and it's great. Um, but it's just funny how you mentioned those, and it, it you, your mind starts to wander into, like, oh, where, where Tatawahe could have been, you know, if, if one of those families had been. Tatawahe could have been a completely different brand. Maybe not completely, but not, you know, certainly not what it is now, you know. Um it, it was just well, interesting to pick up on that. The uh, there was one very big company in the Dominican Republic that that was willing to make me a cigar, and uh, I mean Hochi obviously was had the ability to make me a cigar, very small production at the time. But there was one other company that that offered their you know their factory to to make me a product that was going to be obviously a small production. But the problem is that they wanted to just give me a cigar that they were already making. And that was something I absolutely did not want. I actually wanted to be part of the process. And when I met the Garcias, the first cigar was made by Pepin for my palate. I didn't blend it. He put it together for my palate. And I said, yes, but the Tatawahe brand was actually the first cigar that they ever made for production before mm. they even made their own product. So before Dom Pepin Blue, before Vegas Cubanas, before El Rey de los Sabanos, 
there was a thing called Top Toy, which they had created for me. And then since then, obviously, there were you know the relationship is much broader and bigger, but I'm a lot more involved with what goes into my product than most people. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're 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 definitely very hands on, and you pay a lot of attention to the detail. Um, I would say if I had to make another uh, similarity, it would be someone like Steve Saka, I know is also mm-hmm. very involved in his blends. Um, I think he said it before. He, he's that guy who'll, you know, he'll work on a blend. He'll go through 40 test blends and he'll make something that goes to market, but he's still not happy with it. And he's still working on it. Um, and, uh, well, listen, <laughs> I, not the, I'll, I'll disagree with that in one way. You have to be happy. You have to be absolutely 100% happy with that product that goes to market because we as brand owners and, and people who create things we're we have the luxury of just saying no. If we don't like something, then it never makes it to market. We have to find what we absolutely love for, for us, especially we don't put anything to market unless we love it. So I, I would probably have to disagree with, with, with that, uh, that path, uh, because there's no cigar that I go, hmm, I don't really like it, but I'm going to put it out anyways. Right. And that's, I, that's... I don't think I meant it exactly that way. Um, but, but it just kind of like that, the, the concept being of, you know, you're, you're always working on something. You're always paying attention to it. It's always like, this is good. How can we make something different? How can we make it even better? Oh, it's, absolutely. It's just being so connected to it all the time. Um, absolutely. Which, yeah, yeah, that, made... And that way, that way is, that way is, that way I thought is much different though, because we make a cigar because we absolutely love it, but we're always looking for the next best thing. Right. Or the next, or the next option in our choices. Because I look, I've said this multiple times. I look at cigars as like a food in a sense where I go, okay, I wake up in the morning and I want steak and eggs, but tomorrow I'm going to wake up and go, I'm, I want cereal. Or the next day I wake up and I want oatmeal. You know, like, yeah, you have to have choices in life. It's, I had a buddy of mine that only ate pizza. That's all he ate. Like, he didn't eat any other food other than pizza. And it was kind of annoying. <laughs> I'm like, how do, you, how do you wake up every day and go, I'm going to get my pizza for the day? Like, how do you do that? Like, for me, I have to have choices. Yeah. It's with anything in life. Like, if you... If you walked on into a restaurant and you had one thing on the menu, you'd be probably fishing for something to, to find that you absolutely wanted at that time. And if they only serve burgers, which a lot of places do, um, I know I'm going to go to that burger place because I want a burger. Yeah. I'm not going to go to the Italian store because I want a burger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to the sub shop because I want pasta. No, I'm going to go to the Italian restaurant when I want to get good pasta. I'm going to go to the the salad place when I want a salad. <laughs> you know, like that's why we always have to have choices in in what we're enjoying because if, if you don't have choices, it gets pretty boring. Yeah. Uh, I I don't mean to to change the subject so quickly, but I um, yeah. I did lose track of the time here. Um, and we, we do, we have to hit, we have to hit our last segment of the show. 
Uh, our last segment is our top three segment, which is brought to you none other than Room 101 Brands. Um, I usually ad-lib this one every week because that's the way Maddie wants it. Um, <laughs> it fucks. I'll go with that one. That's what he says. Um, you know, if you if you caught our interview with him at TPE, it's watch the Smoke and Tobacco show, eat your vegetables, and smoke Room 101. I, we should just say that every time. Yeah, I think I think we should. Do uh, that that's a, that's a great ad. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny. Um, without again, I'm trying to I'm trying to stay on course here. There's just there's a lot that I I, I wanted to cover with you, because um, there's there's a lot of good stuff. But you know, really quickly, you know, one thing about Matt Booth um, that he has said and other people have said to me about him was you know when when he started coming into the industry that you were kind of someone that was like similar to him, but that, that came before that he kind of looked towards that kind of, I feel like gave him some inspiration. Yeah. And I, I didn't like Matt when he first got in. Right. He's shared yeah. the story right. before. Right. Yeah. He, even her clock told us the story, but his first uh, IPCPR and, and you were like, who's the fucking guy with the cameras over there? Um, <laughs> and he had to tell him like, Hey, listen, you gotta, you gotta cut this out. <laughs> no. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't a fan, but then we had mutual friends that said, Hey, just, just sit down and have a conversation. You're going to love them. And we ended up having a conversation at my office in Los Angeles. And I was like, okay, Matt's just a cool motherfucker. You know, like, <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Like I get a little gun shy with new people. And I think it's really because I want them to prove themselves to the industry not to me so much, but to the industry. And I don't, I don't want people in this industry in it for the wrong reason. Right. Oh, There's fair. because we saw too many people in the past that came in the industry that were in it for the quick buck. And they, they really, they didn't bring any worth to the industry. Um, and it, and I'll be honest, where are those brands now? The, a lot of those brands that I'm, I'm, that I have in my head that, that were kind of like in it for the wrong reason aren't here anymore. They've come and gone. Yeah. They've come and gone. And you, you got a guy like Matt who, who learned to truly love the industry and support the industry. And that's what I, I love about this industry is people that really take the time to be part of it and not just be part of their wallet. Right. I love that. Yeah. Also, side note, there is um, for most women, um, the greatest friendships start with, hey, you looked like a bitch and I'm a bitch, too. And now we're friends. That's just what that oh. reminds me of. Like, <laughs> or, let's, just, or let's get a glass of wine. Yeah. And then you end up like <laughs> just being OK. Like, I thought you were a bitch. I don't know. But anyway, no, I, I'll <laughs> tell you, a lot of a lot of shit can be settled over a cigar for sure. You sit down with someone and have that one mutual thing in common. And, and shoot the shit for a while, and then you realize, like, yeah, he's, he's a, these people are good. Yeah, and I, and I think what you said is so true, too, and I, I think a lot of people see that, and it's in, it's in, it's, it's in people's everyday lives, it's, it's in every industry, but especially, you know, the cigar industry being as tight-knit that it is, when something when someone new comes in, it's like, who's that guy? Like, we have a small club here, everything's great, like, I don't want to let you into the circle yet until I know if you're really here for the right reasons. 
because uh, and like you said there have been people who, who weren't and um you know even even on the media side too you know we, we've talked about it before there's, there's some people who you know they come to the trade shows just because you know they want to meet pete johnson and they want to get free samples and trick-or-treat and that's <laughs> it they're not actually they're not actually because they want to do the, the solid media journalism they just they want the excuse to go to the trade shows and stuff and so, well, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you got hazed a little bit when you first came in. Yeah, in the very beginning, but I, I think it's safe to say I've, I've, I've proved that, you know, I'm, I'm here to, to work and do the right thing. <laughs> no, the, which is awesome. You had you also had a, a great stepping stone with, with Carney, too. You know, having Carney involved uh, early on with you guys, that was that was a, a big endorsement. Oh, yeah, for because, sure. Because Carney's in it for the right reason. He works for a great company, and he's not going to support someone that's in it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. And, and I'll always, you know, and I'll always give credit to John and I'll always, you know, thank him for being there. Cause he, he has done so much for us and, and he still does. So I'll, I'll never be able to repay him for that. And I am grateful for that. Uh, Cause it, it really did help me, you know, launch to where we are. And even though he's not as actively on the show, whenever he wants to tune in, he has a spot. So oh, yeah. He, he always – He has an open invitation. It doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter who the guest is. Yeah. It doesn't matter what day it is. If, if he calls and says, hey, I want to come on tonight, you're on. Um, he, he always has a place on the show, um, as he should. And, and, he, and, he, and he really deserves that. So um, – but – I want to hit the I want to hit the top three, so I try to make them. I try, I know, right? I well, it took us a while. It took us a while to get there. I know it's been a journey to say the least. Um, I think cigars have been aged faster than that. So um, <laughs> I try to make it a little. I try to make it different every week, but I I try to find a way to make it a little specific to people too. Um, you know, with you, you know, anyone who knows Tatuai enough knows that you know you make a lot of different cigars you've done a lot of projects over the years um and i know that you're someone that always likes to create um you like to innovate you like to work on new stuff you always try to find out what can you do different uh and in doing so you've created a lot of unique projects out of all of the things that you've ever worked on though what were the three projects that either just kind of failed or maybe they just never even made it to fruition for whatever the reason was um, that maybe you kind of always regretted, like, uh, you know, th that was supposed to be a great project, but we just it, it just couldn't happen, or it, we couldn't get it to work, or, you know what, we did it, and it just really wasn't well-received, and it was disappointing because I thought it was going to kick ass. Yeah, um, well, I have, a, I have a, a lot of those. I mean, again, the things that, that don't hit par with us, they just don't get made, right? Right. Uh, so La Verite, which is my single-farm vintage that I did, um, I did 2008, which uh, was kind of like a shock to the uh, the system for for the market. People were like kind of unsure what the whole deal was with about it. Um, 2009 came and actually proved to people that it was a it was a cool thing. Then I was going to do 2010, and I couldn't settle on the blend. I had the the bands made. Everything for the packaging was ready to go. And then I just realized that I wasn't happy with the cigar, so I canceled it. Um, and when I canceled it, there was another friend of mine in the industry that said, don't, don't, like, he, he thought I was canceling it for the wrong reason. He thought I was canceling it because it wasn't well received. 
He goes, don't give on this, go, don't give up on this project because it, it actually means something and you should just push forward with it. And I told him, I said, no, I said, I just couldn't come up with a blend that I was absolutely 100% on. So I decided to just postpone it. And the next one, of course, was 2013, which I was very happy about. But that's a, that's a project that I do every so often and I really have to be dead on with like, yeah, that's it. So that's a tough one. Um, La Riqueza was always one of those projects that, that we did that I thought was going to be gangbusters. And it just wasn't well-received. I like that word. It just, yeah. it, it just wasn't well-received. Well so eventually, eventually during the Broadleaf Crunch multiple years ago, that's when I had to make the tough decision and say we're postponing, bro you know, we're postponing La Riqueza for a while. Hmm. And I had... I actually had a whole humidor made and I was going to do these little single uh, like cardboard coffins that were going to go inside the humidor with the cigars. And it was a cool project. And I had basically shut down broadly completely. Yeah. Cause I knew I didn't have enough broadly to, to really do the project anyways, but the blend La Riqueza is still one of the family's favorites of, uh, and we, we all kind of, you know, scratch our heads going, why didn't it work? But we're coming out with a, a new iteration of La Riqueza uh, in about uh, four to six weeks, I guess. Hmm. But it was one size. It was something we showed at the trade show last year. Yeah, it's always interesting to hear. you Because most people, they see what comes out. And they see what comes on the shelf. They see what's popular. They, they see what, what everyone knows. But there's, there's a lot that happens behind the scenes. And, and Coop likes to use the term, you know, like pulling back the curtain. There's a lot that does happen back at the factory or back at the office that you, that you don't see. That stuff that maybe it does sound cool. It does sound, oh, I want to try that. But it just never happened or it never made it to fruition. And, and every manufacturer and cigar maker, I'm sure, has that long list of these awesome ideas and, and things that they had planned. And then it, it just didn't work. And it never it never came out. Um you know, even the car industry, you look at like, you know, all the, uh, the prototypes that come out and you're like, wow, it looks sick. They never make the car, you know? Uh, I think another, another disappointing one for, so we're going for three, right? Yeah. The last real disappointment for me was we did a project specific, specifically for the PCA. Back then it was the IPCPR and it was, uh, an atelier line called extension de la racine, uh, the extension of the route. And it was supposed to be, you go to the trade show, PCA or IPCPR, that's the only time you can order it, and that's it. And the first year worked out great. Everybody got behind it. The second year, it started to slow down. The third year, it slowed down even more. The fourth year, uh, people got less enchanted by it. And then eventually we said, okay, we're not going to make it anymore. I think that was a disappointment because we were trying to do something specifically for the PCA, now PCA, uh, to where it was a way to drive people to the show to get that certain product. I think what we had working against us was that Atelier as a brand wasn't as strong yet. And at the time, people didn't want the other brand. They wanted Top's Y. Right. 
So they ignored the other brand, even though that they have to understand that those brands are Tatawais. They, they, they still are a Tatawai product. They're just labeled with a different name. But we're coming back out with that cigar at the trade show. Yeah, I was just gonna, so that's kind of how I was going to end the show was, um, you know, as we get down to the end here, um, you know, what what can we see from you at PCA this year? It's always an exciting time. Uh, you know, you weren't at TPE, but you will be at PCA. Um, and what, what's some of the hype that we can drum up for Tatuaje at PCA? Um, okay, so Atelier, it's the 10-year uh, anniversary of Atelier. It's also the 10-year anniversary of Surrogates. So you'll see two cigars at the trade show in very small production, uh, specifically to celebrate the anniversaries of both brands. Mm -hmm. uh, just one size of each. They happen to be the same exact size. It's a shape that I like to use for very small production. Um, I did it last year in the Black Label line, which is the Britannica. So we're using the Britannica mold for a Atelier Racine, and we're using the Britannica mold for a surrogate called, uh, I don't know if I should say it yet. You don't have to. Anyway, it's a surrogate. It's a surrogate. I'll let Dan I'll let Dan talk about that. But it's a surrogate to, to kind of commemorate 10 years, and eventually that blend for that cigar will come out in a different size but that particular shape the britannica shape this year is going to be kind of like a celebration shape for for all three brands atelier tatouai and surrogates so at the trade show you also see a kawaii one in that same shape so we got slice of shade saying <laughs> say it pete lame um jay, <laughs> jay davis i'll be your surrogate pete <laughs> oh and so, wait side note because people have brought it up a, a few times now. They want to know where you can get that hat or where they Yeah, people want to know about hat. the hat. It says, <laughs> it says Tatuaje on it if yep. anyone can't figure that out. Yeah, we we, uh, we make these. Uh, you, know, uh, you have to go to your local retailer because we don't sell them on the website. Hmm. Um, the retailers have been buying them to sell to customers. But uh, I don't know. I've, I've been really slow about this one for some reason. It's it's a hat, you know. I like it. It's a cool <laughs> hat. I think you I had, like it. Did you have something similar at PCA, but it was more like black and red? I want to. Say. Yeah, yeah. We had actually all three. Hmm. Um, there were three three versions of it that we make, and uh, one's uh, red, white, and blue. One's uh, red, white, and black, and the other one is this Miami color. Yeah, that red, white, and black one was sick. So I'm gonna have to find one of those. Does Kirk Kendall have those at Twins? I know he carries that. I, I gotta find. That. I don't know. I gotta I find know. that hat. That hat's sick. Eventually, we'll we'll put it up on uh, on the uh, the site. But we didn't make a lot of them, mm. and uh, it was one of those things that I needed some promotional items, and I really like these ones that retailers actually buy and resell. Is it is it a trucker cap? Is it the mesh on the? Yeah, back? it's. It's a yeah. six panel, so it's got the the extra panel going through the middle, but a patch on on the front. Yeah, those are some cool hats. Those are sick. Thank you. The um, you know, as I said, we're getting towards the end of the show. I want to wrap up. We went a little bit longer tonight, but you know, like I said, with with, with Pete coming on, I, I had a lot of things I wanted to bring up, and 
there's some always there's always great conversation with with Pete Johnson. So, Pete, <laughs> I, I thank you for your time uh, and thanks for coming on with us. I really appreciate it. It was a blast. Um, well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, this Saturday, uh, we will be on KMA um, for a I think a year like a, a year end roundtable kind of thing. Uh, I don't know if they've promoted that yet. So, um, just just kind of teasing it there. Also, later that day, later Saturday. Saturday night will be uh, the return of the Spare Note show where Coop and I will kind of recap TPE as well as the Coop beef of the week, which there always is at least one or two. Um, I usually don't know until like the day of. Uh, it depends on whatever's grinding his gears the most at the moment, um, which I love him to death. So it's, it's always fun content. Um, but, and we'll be back next Thursday once again. Uh, but yeah, Pete, thank you for coming on with us. I really appreciate it. Stay with us until we, you know, we get off the air too. Um, but that's going to do it guys. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to head over to smokeandtobacco.com as well as our YouTube channel and all of our social media to, to see all of the TPE content, the videos, the interviews and all the stuff that we covered at TPE. And there's more to come out. We just, we've been home for like three days. We red eyed home from Vegas on Sunday night. And uh, we've been we've been working our regular jobs, too. So I haven't really had time to get all of it out yet. But mo most of it's out. At least the videos, I think, are all out up on the YouTube channel. Um, so don't forget to check all those out because th it was a blast. It was a great show. And um, we'll see you next week. Take care, guys. Bye, everyone.